When there's something unusual about you, people notice. When there's something unusual about what you love, people really start to take a little bit more notice. And when the unusual thing that you love makes other people happy, they tend to give you a lot of gifts. <laughs> to wit, for example, ah, <laughs> bunny on a pillow, is there anything cuter? This was a gift given to us by a friend from an artist that they met. And for those of you who remember, I've been around for this long, this is nearly a spitting image of doo-wop. Some of you remember doo-wop. One of my wife and my, our three pet rabbits that we used to have, we're down to one, unfortunately. And how many bunny owners are there in the audience today? Used to. Okay. So past tense bunny owner. You get like half a point for that. Actually, get all the points. But that's the thing. There aren't too many rabbit pet owners, and my wife and I are total bunny enthusiasts, and so we get a lot, I mean, a lot of bunny-themed gifts. Here's the thing with, uh, with what I have now started to term uh, pillow doo-wop. I have conversations every day with pillow doo-wop. Pillow doo-wop, you are looking alert today. You are looking bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, and that's not a metaphor for you. Pillow doo-wop, I'm, I'm, I'm having a rough day. Can, can, can you come over, hop over here and, and give me a, a little lick, a little kiss? All right, I'll come to you. That's okay. I know that I am engaging with pillow doo-wop of what's called magical thinking. But I know that I'm engaging in magical thinking. That's the key. Why do I do that? Why do I have these daily conversations with Pillow Duop? It's very simple, actually. When I talk with Pillow Duop, I am reminded what it is to love. It's that simple. Because here's the thing about real Duop. If you show the picture there, that's real Duop. About a week or so before she died, real Duop was a survivor. She was abandoned very early in her life and probably really should have died in the elements, but she was rescued and then I was blessed enough to get her. My wife and I were blessed enough to get her. She, after that abandonment, had a series of multiple infections. She had a broken leg. She had cancer. And yet she lived to, in bunny terms, the ripe old age of nine years. She was a survivor. And this is the thing. Sometimes if we've experienced some real tough things in life, we can kind of get ground down. The light can feel like it ebbs out of us a little bit. Duop's light never ebbed whatsoever. She had this basic innate goodness, this tremendous capacity to love. And if you think I'm projecting onto her, I'm really not. This was her energy. I mean, whenever my wife and I would walk by the open-air pen in which she and her mates were kept, she would put her front feet right up on the edge of that cage and hold her nose out and just almost as to say, treat, treat, treat time for me. And more than often not, she would get it. She, more than any of the other pets I've ever had, she practiced a kind of mutuality. If you would pet her on the head, she would immediately then put her head on top of your hand and start grooming you as well. She was my favorite four-legged friend that I have ever had 
in my life. And so that's why I carry on conversations with pillow duop, to try and remind myself to stay close to that energy, that basic goodness, that basic trust, that heart energy that helps us reach out, reach out into this life, especially if we might feel we want to pull back and retract and kind of play close to the chest and play things kind of cool. Because sometimes to express our affection, our love, our desire to be in intimate connection with other people, that can expose us and make us feel vulnerable. In loving-kindness meditation, in metta, as it is known in the Pali language, the Buddhist meditation of cultivating open heart space, very often is one of the steps of metta meditation. We envision a, a person, or in this case a being, who represents for us a very deep experience of devotion. Very often when I do loving-kindness meditation, the image that arises in my mind is duop, because she just represents that basic kindness and goodness and love for me. It helps me carry that energy into my own life and make it real. And here's the thing, if any of you have ever done metta meditation, loving-kindness meditation, it's not just all about envisioning that one person or one being who cultivates natural love, natural goodness within us. Sometimes with loving kindness, we are really explicitly asked to direct phrases of loving kindness to people that, here's the secret, we may not like very much, including ourselves <laughs> from time to time. But here's what I love about metta. At the same time that it has that global, that universal aspiration for us to open our heart as wide as we possibly can, to even envision that love encompassing and being directed towards all creatures, a heart as wide as the world. What I love about loving-kindness meditation is that the real wisdom says, if we want to love boldly, we also have to start basically. Duop and pillow duop helps me start basically. Remember that especially if I'm struggling with loving or if any of you have experience of struggling with affection, struggling with love, struggling with wanting to connect, we can start very, very simply. I mean, this grand, this limitless capacity as love and kindness talks about to envision and connect with the whole world, it is only real if we can also connect on the intimate level as well too. This maintaining conscious contact with, yes, that universal aspiration to love, but by making it real right here and right now, this is the heart of what it means to be a beginner. It's the whole reason for this message series, being a beginner. I'm going to repeat that sentence, that thought about beginner's mind that I started last week with as well, too, by Shunryu Suzuki, who says, in beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In expert's mind, there are few. In beginner's mind, there are many possibilities. In an expert's mind, there are few. See, when we hear beginner's mind, we might think primarily it's about a thought. But that's why I love the loving-kindness meditation, because the beginner's mind it helps me cultivate is not just a thought. It's an actual relationship. It's really more about beginner's heart. I've done weddings these last couple Saturdays. And very often the couples like this one quote to be woven into their uh, liturgy, their wedding liturgy, and it's by Kierkegaard. And if you've ever read any Kierkegaard, you know that this is one of the most dour philosophers or theologians ever to write. And so this is, well, this phrase is interpreted very sentimentally, it's really not very sentimental. 
Kierkegaard wrote, in love, everyone starts from the beginning. And what a great thing to say on a wedding day. In love, everyone gets to start from the beginning. Celebration, it's fantastic. And it's a fine usage for that phrase, but that's not really, primarily at least, what Kierkegaard was talking about. He was talking about, in love, everyone can start from the beginning, especially when we're feeling dull. Especially when our heart sight becomes, well, it loses its freshness. When we feel we're taking what we love and who we love for granted. Because the truth of loving kindness is that we cannot actively love what we love if simultaneously we are looking on our lives with kind of that been there, done that, seen it by rote, everything here is obvious kind of way of being. Because love is not a possession, of course. Love is not something we have, it's something we share. Love is a relationship, a relationship, I believe, if we understand it through the lens of beginner's mind and beginner's heart, in which we are committing ourselves over and over and over again to relearning the lesson of what it is to really care about someone, to care about another being, to care about this life. All that is to say, we are always beginners when we are actively loving cultivating and touching this aspiration in a real way, not a theoretical way, because in a theoretical way, loving kindness, well, it doesn't really exist, but in a real way, in an intimate way. It's one of the reasons that if you've ever been on a meditation retreat or a contemplative retreat in which the meditation teacher is guiding you through a loving kindness meditation, you know, normally with the practitioners, the people there engaging in the meditation is totally silent, but for this one thing, half the room is in tears. Because that aspiration of opening the heart, it touches something real and deep within us. And very often where our love is, sometimes there's some fear there too or some vulnerability. And so learning to touch the heart in this way is so wonderfully intimate. When I think about an intimate connection, I very often think of this person. Some of you might know her, might know her by her name, the name she goes by, not her given name, of Ama. Ama, which in many languages means simply mother. Some of you may also know her more by what she does. She is known as, in India and throughout the world, as the hugging saint. In her 30 years of, I guess, shall we say, public ministry, it is estimated that she has hugged 32 million people. She has this amazing capacity to connect with people in the simplest, most basic, most intimate, wonderful way. And if you've ever seen someone hugged by Ama, you see beginner's mind, beginner's heart right there in that moment because you can see the tension kind of leach out and you can see them just being enveloped in a person with whom they are experiencing tr profound love. Now, before Ama became known as the hugging saint, she was just a teenage girl living in India from a family in which she did not, uh, they did not have by any means what we would call wealth or riches, but they had more than many of their neighbors. And so Amma found herself regularly while she was going throughout the surrounding village in which she lived, just naturally giving, you know, little scraps of food or articles of clothing to people who were destitute and poor. Her family did not like this. They did not approve of her giving away because she didn't have that much. And then she took it even a step further. Because very often as she involved herself in this practice of authentically giving to other people, and it's the same thing with us, if we really give to them, not just, hey, here you go and we move on, but if we really give to them, what we start to do is we learn their story. And as she learned the stories of these people to whom she was giving tangible 
manifestations of her care, she would hear stories of sorrow and stories of heartbreak. And she found herself as a 14-year-old girl, just naturally responding in the way that she knew best. She started hugging people. Now, this was not looked upon kindly. Not looked upon kindly at all because a 14-year-old girl, especially in that place in that time, was not supposed to hug people, especially not men. But this is what she said in describing that original instinct to bless with her physical presence of a hug. She said, I don't see that person, the person I'm hugging, as a man or a woman. I don't see really anyone different from my own self. A continuous stream of love flows from me to all creation. In the Hindu tradition, the Sanskrit language, when someone is hugged by ama, they participate in what is called darshan, which literally means to see. But even more, darshan is the experience of a relationship with the holy, with God, a manifestation of divinity in which it's not really conceptual. It's not something we think about. It's more like this sense of being enveloped in this knowledge that we are deeply loved and deeply held, and at the same time, our own heart's capacity to love and hold others also opens up. That's what darshan really is like. The first time I ever experienced, or I should say, really experienced seeing someone experiencing darshan was many years ago. I mean, I was probably 26 or 27, and I was in seminary, and we were in a class that was talking about kind of all the world religions that were involved in the great big world of New York City. So we spent a lot of time visiting other spiritual communities, and one Friday night we went to a Hindu temple in Queens, in the borough of Queens, and it was um, a temple dedicated to the worship and veneration of the Lord Ganesha, who is very often in the Hindu tradition understood as the one who removes obstacles, but also in a particularly important way that I don't understand at a point, but I'll get back to in a second. Well, there are all these shrines and icons and places to make offerings to Ganesha all throughout this very large temple, probably larger than this room, and devotees came in throughout the couple hours that we were there, and perhaps I fixated or focused on this one woman because she came in just looking really stressed, and she was only a couple years older than me. She was just your average New Yorker, young professional, yuppie type, carrying her bag and all the burdens of the world, and she came in and she took her shoes off and she put her back down and she plopped herself on a meditation cushion right in front of this icon of Lord Ganesha. And I think one of the reasons I really noticed her is that her brow was like, like you could have cut glass. It was so furrowed right here. She was so tense. Yes, just like that, just like that. Not that any of us are ever that tense in our lives, right? And because we were there for a couple hours and because one of our goals was to kind of get a different perspective on what people were experiencing, I kind of kept, uh, not intentionally at first, but later on intentionally, kept circling around this young woman, this young professional who came in carrying her burdens. And what I saw as she beheld the gaze and was beheld by the gaze of Lord Ganesha was I saw the manifestation of beginner's mind. I saw her shoulders ease up a little bit. I saw the brow go unfurrowed. I saw the experience of Darshan. I saw a freshness in her heart. I saw an opening. And what I only learned many years after that, 
helped me make even more sense of what I witnessed in that episode of Darshan, which is that Ganesha is known also, not just as the remover of obstacles, but as the Lord of beginnings. That's what I saw in that moment, someone who is experiencing with the weight of the world on their shoulders and all that tension and all that stress, I saw beginner's mind and beginner's heart open up again. Kierkegaard was absolutely right. That's the non-sentimental meaning of in love, everyone starts from the beginning. That's exactly what that young woman experienced in her tradition. Now, with Wellsprings, here we say completely in a consonant way with our Unitarian Universalist tradition that spiritual wisdom is a naturally abundant resource, as alive and accessible in our age as in any other. So certainly our experience does not exclude an experience of darshan in the traditional way, but we can also open it up here and ask, what are the ways in which we can experience daily darshan with many different varieties of objects? Remember, that's the promise of beginner's mind, that there are many possibilities. Everyday darshan. That for me, by the way, that's pillow doo-wop. And that's why it's so much more than magical thinking. And if you think I'm, I'm just freaking nuts, uh, you know, that's okay too. I don't care. Um, and, and let me say at least, at least with pillow do up on my magical thinking, just, just give me a little bit more credit than let's say um, Clint Eastwood in his chair, you know? Just, just give, give me a little bit more credit there. You know, sometimes some kinds of magical thinking sometimes open us up. Sometimes a magical thinking exists to put other people down. So just grant me that, that this lifts me up at the very least. Daily darshan, that pillow do op relationship I have, it is about keeping my aspiration before me to continue to love, to continue to connect, continue to be a beginner. I have not mastered love. None of us have. I'm still a student and will always remain a student if I truly want to love well. When I think about a story of daily darshan that truly is powerfully transformative, and not just for one individual or two, but many people, I think of a group called the Roots of Empathy. If any of you have heard of that, if you show that picture now, the Roots of Empathy. See that little baby there? That little baby, that little infant, is right at the heart of what Roots of Empathy does. See, Roots of Empathy is about teaching kids not to bully each other. Now, I've seen lots of, quote-unquote, anti-bullying curriculum. This is better. This is far better because what they do is that Roots of Empathy over the course of a school year brings a little bitty cute baby and the baby's parent into a classroom once a month and exposes the children from elementary school all the way into you know, junior high and high school, sometimes when that bullying can get really vicious and that aggression can get really, really awfully powerful and destructive of a person's inner life. And what the kids in the classroom do is they do just what we're seeing right here. They observe that infant. You see, the infant doesn't have language yet, and so they try to empathetically name what that infant might be going through. If the infant is so young that literally they can't lift their head yet off the ground, you know what the kids do? They get down on the ground and they just practice turning their head just like the baby can because they're trying to understand with a heart sense, with a loving kindness sense, what might that child be experiencing? What might that child be sensing? And over the year, an amazing thing happens because, you know, those of you who know infants or have had infants, you know, in a short amount of time, you get to see a human developing and coming online. So in the course of that year, they get to cheer these kids do it. Infant that 
you know, starts rolling over and sitting up and crawling and seeing all these important developmental milestones. They get to see a person. They see creation happening right in front of their faces. And they are encouraged to provide active kindness to the child, to learn to speak to a baby in a soothing voice. You see, a lot of these kids who enter the program, they didn't get spoken to in a soothing voice themselves, so they're developing their own capacity with something that they may not have received themselves. They learn what it is to sing and look silly in singing nursery rhymes or the alphabet song to this little child. And here's the really cool thing about groups of empathy is that where it really transforms the kids' relationships is with each other. One of the teachers tells a story, and she had a Roots of Empathy program going on in her classroom throughout a year. She talked about one particular child, one young teen who was picked on and picked out and was often bullied because he wasn't seen to be kind of masculine enough by the other children and he was a little overweight as well too and, and he was from a different cultural background that many of the other kids were. At the end of the year, the kids decided that you know, they wanted to write a song, sing a song for this little baby to thank the baby and thank the parent. And this kid who had been picked on and put down a lot said, I want to do my own thing here. I want to write my own story write my own song. He wrote his own song, and he got up in front of the entire class and was about to sing it. And the teacher felt a knot in her gut. She could feel her hands clenching because she could see the risk that this kid was taking and expressing loving kindness to this baby and to this parent, and she said, please, 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 don't let the other kids mock him, make fun of him. He's, he's putting himself out there. He's making himself vulnerable. And the other kids didn't. At the end of this year of learning empathy, of learning loving kindness, but not learning it, expressing it, feeling it, entering loving kindness, they just started clapping for their classmate because... The roots of empathy, as they are with all of us, are inside of us. We just need to learn to cultivate and water and nurture those roots which want to grow from the seed into the flower and into flourishing. One of the academics who studies why roots of empathy is so successful says that this is the thing about empathy. Empathy really can't be taught, but it can be caught. Empathy exists socially between us. This is why our ability to practice loving kindness as beginners, not on the meditation mat profoundly, that's, that, that, I mean, that's important, but that's the formal practice. The formal practice is only as good as it brings us out into the rest of our lives, into the informal practice of actually living. That's where loving kindness really matters. I mean, and, and by the way, Roots of Empathy works profoundly. And they work with kids who are already, some of them, expressing profound aggression, profound acts of bullying and cruelty to each other. In one of the groups that they studied that had gone through the Roots of Empathy program, they found that kids who had already started to express this aggression, 88% of them reduced their aggression, not because they were punished or not because they were told to, but because they understood what it was like to water and cultivate those roots of empathy within themselves. And by the way, the group that didn't do roots of empathy, the control group, just 9% of them reduced their aggression. There is something so powerful and so transformative about being intentional about how we develop our kindness that really has 
very little to do, by the way, with how smart we are or how smart we think we are. I think there's also something just really powerful about being close to an infant. I mean, all of you will cluster around the infant in the back that's in our back row. Right now, I can see it after the service. Who doesn't want that? Sorry. They know you're there anyway. <laughs> I think it's because when we're close to an infant, we're reminded of vulnerability and, and that it's okay to express our love and that infants themselves are so close to our origins. We were like that once too. There's so much creation and creating going on in an infant is to say there's so much beginning going on with an infant. I think that's why we are attracted to the energy that little ones bring, because we know that they are a source of reminding ourselves of our own original blessing, and that when we express that love, we honor that original blessing. That's why love is not just a feeling, it is an intentional care for our own and for other people's and for other beings core development of what it means to flourish and to come alive. Humberto Maturana is a man who's a biologist. I mean, he studies the physical aspects of life. He also studies organizations, and he sees that truly it is love that leads our capacity to learn. And by learn, I'm talking about develop, not just cram information into our head like we're studying for a midterm, but to actually expand ourselves. He says that love is the only emotion that expands intelligence. Love is the only emotion that expands intelligence. He says learning is too often thought of acquisition of information. There's nothing wrong with that kind of acquisition of information, but real learning, he says, no, is this. Learning is a transformation in learning to live together. It's a transformation in how we practice being together. And by the way, we can Start practicing this right now. I encourage you to practice it during coffee hour. I mean, that's a great lab we got right there in the back of the room, a great choice point for all of us to say, are we going to pay attention? Are we going to pay attention to the presence of all these other people here? Or are we just going to go on about our business and say, all right, check it off the schedule, next thing up? Or are we going to actually stop, honor that connection between us? This is our ability to do every day Daily darshan, daily seeing of the holiness that is in our midst because we can choose to identify ourselves with what we already know in this life. We can choose to do it that way. Or we can choose to identify ourselves, our real worth and value, with our capacity to keep growing. Not our capacity with what we already know to hold that, but our capacity to grow. We are inherently social creatures. Everything we do influences every other person that we see. We are interdependent. How we interact with each other matters a great deal. How you choose to interact with that person who probably just later on today will cut you off on 100 or 202, how you choose to interact with that person matters. Are you going to match aggression for aggression or are you going to add aggression? Just a plain old mistake. Some of you are nodding. How you choose, how we choose to honor the connection, the opportunity for Darshan with the barista who pours our coffee. Do we just make that a transaction? Do we just treat them, treat them as an object that gives us something and we move on to the next thing? Or do we recognize that with them there is the opportunity to honor their humanity with gratitude, with basic loving kindness? It matters, folks. It matters a lot when we catch ourselves 
you know, kind of just, you know, because of inertia, just kind of sliding into mindlessness, sliding into numbness, sliding into I'm not that important as other person. And so really my way of saying I'm not that important as other person means I get to ignore you. <laughs> but there's such power. There's such power in recognizing that every human interaction we have, and not just the human interactions as well too, is a capacity for us to cultivate loving kindness, to be a beginner because you know what? That experience that we're having with that person, we might think we're seeing it by rote, we might know exactly what's happening there, but we don't. Because that experience has the seeds of beginningness within it if we really choose to pay attention. This is our greatest influence, our greatest power in this life, is to manifest that empathy, that loving kindness, that presence with each other. Especially in this context, in this context of our spiritual community, it's important to remember that as teachers from many years ago and teachers who are very current, as teachers from the East and teachers from the West tell us, there is really one sign, one symbol of the depth of our spiritual lives. And it is our capacity to love. It's that simple, and it is that constant, and it is that challenging for some of us. There's a reason that we, words we sang are not, I believe in you and Buddha too. That would be such an intellectual way of approaching it. No, the words of the song are, I love you and Buddha too. It doesn't mean we have it all figured out. It doesn't mean we have a relationship with Buddha figured out. It doesn't mean we have a relationship with Jesus figured out. It doesn't mean we have a relationship with ourselves figured out. It means that we're opening our heart. This is so very consistent with our universalist tradition, which said at its very core that there is a source of love. However we understood that word, understand that word God, that, that our universalist ancestors said this source of love is open to all and includes everyone and ultimately leave no one out. If the nature of the universe really is love, and not way back when or some point in the future, but here and now, to believe as our universalist tradition invites us to is to remain as beginner's mind encourages us, faithful to the many possibilities to be kind and to love and to be empathetic right here and right now, to make it real. Oh, sorry. Pillow Duop has another message for me. What, what is that pillow do up? You want me to mention something to them? Okay. Not surprisingly, pillow do favorite source of literature and inspiration is the Velveteen Rabbit. You want them to be real? Yeah, some of these folks, they look like they've had some of their fur rubbed off. Yeah, it goes for all of us especially if we have had our fur rubbed off us and life can be unkind to us. Well, what Pillow Duop says by way of Velveteen Rabbit, I'm inclined to believe, which is that it is especially when we have been through hardship and heartache in this life that our love is even more powerful. For those of us who are not infants, for those of us who have had our fur rubbed off, may we all continue today, now, to stay in touch and keep reaching out and reaching in 
and keep beginning and keep beginning again in love. It is the original blessing that exists within our lives. Amen. And may you live, I mean this, folks, may you live in that blessing. Let's pray together. May we allow ourselves this day to feel the source of original blessing still radiating within us, around us, between us. May we know in the midst of our tiredness, our hunger for more than just food, sometimes even in our desperation, may we know that the original blessing does not just reach out for us, it is already us. And so, may we do that sometimes difficult but always productive, heart-churning, heart-turning work of opening to the beginning, of cultivating that freshness at the center of the chest, living from this place of kindness and affection and love. And may we know that we can bless this life that way, and we will be blessed by life as well. Amen.